to the Twinkie Chronicles podcast, where two twins are shedding light on the childbearing years. It's your host, Christina, aka Twinkie number one, along with my co-host, Kathy, aka number two. Hey, y'all. And we want to welcome our special guest, Miss Carson Reagan. Um, she is the owner of OB2Me, located in Atlanta, Georgia. Welcome, Carson. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to um, to join you tonight. We are too. Yes, very excited to hear what Carson has to um, help us learn about. Um, so yeah, Carson, let's just start. Tell us a little bit about you and your family. Okay, well, my name is Carson Reagan. I am a certified nurse midwife and I am married to a wonderful man and his name is Troy. He's fabulous. And I have five children four biological and one bonus daughter. I have adult children now, so that's a whole new kind of parenting that's going to be a whole nother podcast one day, but I can tell you parenting adult children is far harder than when they were little. <laughs> so they are 28, 27, 25, 24, and 20. So they are all wonderful. There's four girls and one boy. He's the 24-year-old, so he's right in the middle of all of the estrogen. So um, it's been fun raising a, um, all of them together. It's been, it's been a journey and I'm learning every day about new parenting styles and skills when it comes to parenting adult children. Yes, it, I'm sure it's totally different. I yes, very. From, I range from three to 18. So I'm kind of oh, yeah. <laughs> dabbling in the adult um, side of things. Um, so yeah, tell us a little bit about how you found midwifery. Like, did you always want to do it or did it find you somehow in life? How did that work out? It definitely found me in life and it actually came upon me having my own children. I was 17 when I had my oldest. And of course that was not um, socially acceptable at the time. So I was a teen mom. I got married to my high school sweetheart when I was 16 had a baby when I was 17. I did not know anything about pregnancy or birth or anything at all. Um, I was delivered in a hospital that was a teaching facility. I did not, I did go to childbirth class. I did do that, but I didn't know what a midwife was. Um, and at the hospital I delivered, they did not offer midwives. Uh, I had an epidural that I think was, I mean, 28 years ago, they dosed them very differently, but I think it would have been the equivalent of a C-section epidural. I didn't even know I had legs. I couldn't move legs. I couldn't roll over. I couldn't do anything. So, you know, things progressed and I needed um, forceps and an episiotomy. And it was just a very traumatic type of birth that I was not prepared for. Then I still hadn't figured out where babies come from because then 13 months later, I had another baby when I was 18. Um, and she was born three months early. So I had a 27 weeker in the NICU. I had something called placenta previa. So my placenta was completely covering my cervix and I started to hemorrhage one day out of the blue and she was born by emergency C-section. And I had to have what they call general anesthesia where they put you to sleep. So I missed the whole thing. Um, and I was only 18 years old at the time. So with all of this happening, I had a 13 month old at home. Here I was in the hospital uh, having an emergency C-section that I knew nothing about, had not prepared for that, what to expect. 
Um, and again, this was 27 years ago, so the post-op regimen is way different now, thankfully. But back in the day, that makes me sound so old, um, I, after general anesthesia, they would only give me an injection every six to eight hours in my muscle for pain. So I couldn't move. I was, I was, I just couldn't move. My baby was in the NICU and I couldn't even get up to get in a wheelchair to get to her. Um, and I, that was definitely a very traumatic birth. Um, because it was such an emergency, I had to have something called a central line, which is an IV in your neck. Um, and, you know, it, just, it was just not a good experience. But one of the things that was most traumatic for me with that birth experience is I, I forgot the name of it and I should have looked it up before this podcast, but there's actually a syndrome. But it was like I had a type of amnesia. I couldn't remember anything from when they rolled me into the OR until days later. So I kept having to ask my family, okay, what happened after this? What happened after this? What happened? Like I needed them to walk me through every detail because I had this gap in my memory that I was missing like three or four days of my life. I just, I couldn't remember anything. To not remember anything except for the last thing that they told me is that they, we might have to take her uterus and they whisked me into the OR and, um, you know, no one was really explaining to me what was going on. So that was just really, really traumatic. So baby number three comes along, I'm in nursing school and I was, I was inspired by the nurses in the NICU. My daughter spent three months there um, and 27 weeks, 27 years ago was more kind of like the equivalent of a 24 or 25 week or just with technology and kind of how they manage things. So it's very, very different now having a baby at 27 weeks, but the nurses were phenomenal. I knew I wanted to do something in women's health. I wasn't sure if it's nursery or labor and delivery, but I decided to go to nursing school. So when she was six months old, I started nursing school. Um, and while I was in nursing school, I got pregnant with my son. I was 21. I was um, excited, you know, to learn more about labor and delivery. I loved that, but I was so traumatized from the first two births. I met a midwife. I'd never heard of a midwife. I didn't know what they did, but I loved her. I mean, I saw her each visit. She was a hospital-based midwife, but I had never met a midwife, and she was just amazing. She taught me so many things. She was patient. She didn't rush me through my visits. And I wanted to have a VBAC. And I did not want to experience either one of the type of births that I had before. And 27 years ago, VBAC was a whole nother conversation. Or actually, no, he's 24. I apologize. That was a different conversation back then. But it still wasn't very popular. Um, and he was my fastest birth and my biggest baby. He was 9-3. I was in labor for about six hours, which was awesome. And was able to have an unmedicated birth. And that also was was a goal of mine because I wanted to feel 100% in control of my body because it was so traumatic with the first time of not having any feeling, any control, not being able to move or do anything. And then of course, the second one was a train wreck, <laughs> but I wanted to have full control um, of my body and I did, and it was wonderful. Um, and then when I was 25, I had my fourth and I was a labor and delivery nurse at the time. I knew after my son's birth though, that I wanted to go into midwifery school. Um, so I finished, I started working as a labor and delivery nurse and just trying to figure out when the best time to go back to graduate school was. So I graduated nursing school in 1999. Um, I had four children and 
um, it was busy. It was a busy time. Um, well, actually, no, I had three children at the time when I graduated nursing school. I apologize. But I started working as a labor and delivery nurse in several different facilities, very busy facilities. One of them was Northside Hospital, the big one um, in Atlanta, Georgia. They deliver about 30,000 babies a year. And then I also worked at a smaller community hospital that did what we call late um, LDRP, where you stay in the same room until you go home. All the nurses are cross-trained. It was wonderful. You got to do postpartum, you got to do labor, you got to do some nursery, and I loved it. Um, but I knew I wanted to be a midwife. I just, that I, I, was my passion, it was my calling. So I went to midwifery school and graduated in 2010 and worked in several large practices with great providers. All the providers were very knowledgeable, very experienced. But what I found was, in these larger practices, you know, we would be scheduled 20 to 25 patients a day, and they're scheduled every 15 minutes or even double booked. And so I didn't like not being able to spend enough time with each mom to kind of feel out where, where's their knowledge base? What, what do we need to work on in education? What are their birth preferences? You know, how can I help them prepare and be proactive in their birth when I only have 10, 15 minutes with them? And then worse, I didn't like not being there for their birth. So I, I found that in these larger, more traditional practices, that was really the way it was just from, you know, the amount of providers you have and the amount of patients. So in 2019, I started ob to me which is a concierge OBGYN practice, and I've absolutely loved it every day since. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, so can you tell us a little bit more about what makes ob to me different than other OB practices or midwifery model care? So when I accept a patient into the concierge program, they basically are guaranteed to see me every single visit um, for their pregnancy. And then I actually block my travel schedule a week before and a week after their due date just to better ensure that I'm the one there for their birth. Now, certainly if they deliver outside of that window and I'm in town, I can come, I'm absolutely going to come. But I, it's just as important to me if I'm going to be with them through their whole pregnancy, I don't want to miss the birth either. You know, I want to be there for that. But I, I do say I like to travel, so I want to be able to leave town every now and then. Um, but it works out really well. And when I schedule my appointments with patients, I, I block at least an hour with them. Most patients don't need or want an hour, but at least they don't feel rushed. We have time to talk about whatever their concerns are, whatever their previous birth stories were, whether it be traumatic or not and try to kind of plan on how to move forward with this birth, um, what's important to them. I, I'm really not a, I'm not a judgmental midwife in the sense of some people think if you choose a midwife, you have to go unmedicated and, you know, squat behind a tree and bite on a piece of bark and, you know, you can't have any intervention or anything like that. Or, you know, they have these ideas that we all walk around in Birkenstocks and dreadlocks and, you know, there's no medication if they need it. So I just, I try to let my, my my mamas know that there's options. If you want an unmedicated water birth, great. Let me let me help you prepare for that. If you want an epidural the minute you're in active labor, let me help you prepare for that. There's not going to be judgment from me. It's their birth experience. And I feel like my my goal and responsibility is to help prepare them for whatever type of experience they think they want, but also talk about, well, what if plans change? These are some other options that you have so that it's not so overwhelming and unexpected if um, things change in, in the labor process. Yeah. 
So I heard you say, um, you know, that you block out time on your travel calendar. What other types of boundaries do you set within your schedule or like patient load um, and things like that to ensure that you're able to individualize your care for each mama? So when, when I do accept a concierge person, they, they get direct access to my personal cell, my email, um, again, the extended time. And when I first told someone that I was giving out my personal cell phone to my, to my patients, they were like, you do that? Don't they blow up your phone all day and all night? And I said, actually, I mean, there's a few outliers. I do ask my patients, please don't text me at two o'clock in the morning to talk about prenatal vitamins. <laughs> but if you need me, you can get me directly. But I found that because we're able to spend that extra time together during their appointments, we get all those questions answered. We get all those what ifs kind of answered. And so they are very respectful and they reach out to me when they're concerned about something. But because there's so much extra time for education and planning, it's not an issue. You know, it's, it's really not. For the most part, people are very, very respectful of you know, after hours and, and oftentimes they feel bad. But I'm like, don't feel bad. I, you know, I told you, reach out to me if you, you know, if you're having a concern, that's why I'm here. You know, I don't want them to have to leave a message on the office line and not get a call back for three days. Like sometimes happens in, in larger practices. You leave a message on Friday, you're not going to hear anything till Monday, maybe. Right. So, yeah, sure. You know, so. so before we started recording, you mentioned like, the importance of doulas, um, you know, as a midwife, why are you advocating like for doulas to be present at births? And how have you seen doulas impact birth in a positive manner? Well, as I mentioned before we started recording, I'm honestly disappointed when I walk in and there's not a doula because I love working <laughs> with the doula so much, but you know, not everyone chooses to, to work with a doula. And I think part of that is, you know, part of it is they don't understand the benefit of a doula. And we talk about that through their prenatal care through my program. And sometimes this is an, an extra financial burden that they can't take on at that time. But I think once people understand the role and how helpful it can be, you can't have enough people. You can't have too many people supporting a mom through her pregnancy and her birth, or even her postpartum. You know, everybody talks about pregnancy and birth, but then there's that whole other trimester that yes. people forget about mm -hmm. that postpartum doulas can be just so valuable because all the family and the extra support, you know, they might be all around right after birth and with that newborn, but then really when things sink in, you know, days or weeks after birth. And then it's like, okay, where'd all the excited, helpful people go? <laughs> sure. Mom is sleep deprived and maybe struggling with breastfeeding or maybe some postpartum depression. And, and the other thing that I see that doulas can be helpful for in the postpartum, because they're looking for it as well, is that there's this stigma, in my opinion, that if a mom is not just bubbly and just so pleased with this newborn baby right after birth, there must be something wrong with her. And even the moms sometimes are like, why am I crying? Why am I sad? Why am I, I have a, a beautiful baby. Everything's act a certain way after delivery. And if she's not, even for herself, you know, it makes her question, well, you know, her skills as a mom or her ability to breastfeed or any of those kind of things. And, and I, I think the postpartum period gets forgotten about um, 
on the big picture where doulas and midwives still focus in on that because it's still part of the process, the journey. Yeah, yeah, it's it's an entire year, definitely. Mm-hmm. And um, and then some. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, I have a friend that I used to go to church with who she she was supposed to have a boy and the baby came out a girl. And she said it took her six months to to bond with her girl. And you would now her daughter's in college. You would never know. They are as tight as thieves. And, you know, first of all, for her to be brave enough, you know, to share that um, was for me was very powerful. Um, But just to understand, like the way that you were feeling was very, very valid. Like you had bonded Mm -hmm. with a boy, not a baby girl. And the fact that you were strong enough to take that time to grieve the baby boy, but then to get to know the baby girl and, and build a relationship with her, like that was super, super powerful in my opinion, because we do like, even as American society, even outside of like the pregnancy or postpartum world, we we're so quick to dismiss or um, minimize the way that people are feeling. Um, and so that's kind of my heartbeat with, you know, being a doula, both birth and postpartum is just, I'm here, like whatever you need, I'm here, you know, within legal constraints and, you know, ethical things and all of that, but just I'm here and I'm not judging anything that you're doing. If you Mm want to, I'm just speaking to a, a client yesterday who was like, interviewing me for a postpartum job and she was saying like you know my fourth trimester is really really difficult it's very emotional and I was like you know if you want to like curse at me don't throw anything but if you want to curse at me and just yell and scream and get all of that out like that's okay that that's that's what I'm paid to do and I would rather you be you feel safe enough and strong enough to get that out than it bottle up and you and you put it to the back burner and then have to deal with it later. Like let's let's find your circle, your support system now and deal with these feelings, deal with these emotions, deal with these decisions that may not be the cookie cutter um, scenario. And then let's grow from there. And that's kind of why, oh, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say, I agree with you. I think that, society there's an expectations for mom to act a certain way after delivery and if she's not feeling that way whether it be anger or depression or anxiety you know it's like okay what you know her house is falling apart her baby's not sleeping she's her milk supply is down and all of these things are happening and happening and people just kind of expect you to be you know, oh, you're a new mom, you should be so happy you have a baby, and there's all these other things going on, but I primarily see, maybe because it's, I've personally experienced that, is that these moms, that their birth plan didn't go the way that they prepared for their whole pregnancy, or even before they even became pregnant, their, their vision of what their birth was going to look like didn't look like that. Maybe it wasn't an emergency, but maybe, you know, they weren't able to have the water birth for some reason that they had planned on, or they got an epidural that they weren't planning on, or they ended up with a C-section that they weren't planning on. And so there's, I think, a grieving process that 
that has to happen with that because they've envisioned or prepared for, you know, this beautiful image and, and um, I don't know, they just prepared so much. And then when that doesn't happen, other people that aren't in the birth world, like doulas and midwives and things like that, don't understand the impact that you do have to grieve that process. And you got to talk about it and hash it out over and over and keep, you know, okay, well, and, and what breaks my heart the most is when a mom tries to blame herself or says to, she's not strong enough or woman enough or whatever the criteria that was kind of preset in her brain, um, maybe by society or maybe because everybody else in their family, you know, had an unmedicated birth or everybody else had this. And they so I think that um, one of the most important things that a mom can do is not just focus on her prenatal and her birth preparation, but also spend time focusing on preparing for her postpartum plans, including not just, you know, what family is going to visit when, but include your birth team on helping you plan for your postpartum support, education, and really the, the, the team doesn't end in the delivery room. There's a whole nother trimester that needs to be planned for and talked about and creating a space to where you have a plan to reach out if you need extra help and talk about the real emotions that are going on, not just what you think everybody wants to, to hear, but the real down and dirty yeah, of what's going I, on. Um, I worked with a client of several months ago um, who was really struggling emotionally and didn't necessarily have the best support um, of her partner. And, um, you know, I was trying to take care of the baby and the baby was having a rough night. And the mom was saying, you know, I didn't want to come out and offend you by taking the baby, but I was getting kind of anxious that the baby was crying. And I just reiterated to her in that moment, like, there's, there's no offense to be had or to be taken because I'm here to support you and the baby, but more importantly, you and to fill in those gaps and to be that support, whatever that looks like for you and your family to be that support for all of you. And I think that's one of the reasons I love post, especially overnight postpartum work, because it's just this magical time where you're, you're coming in, supporting these people so that they can get a little bit of extra sleep, you know, one, two, sometimes four nights a week. Um, but really just being there for them and being an extra set of hands um, in, a, in a safe place. We, everybody needs a safe place, a non-judgmental person in their life where they can be open and real and raw. Because if we're all completely honest, like that's what motherhood is. It, it's raw. Sometimes it's beautiful. Well, most of the time it's beautiful and it's amazing. And all of, you know, my heart could just explode with how much I love my kids. But there's also this other side that while I love my kids with every fiber of my being, my kids are driving me crazy. And I have to go in the bathroom and pretend to, using the bathroom so I can just eat a chocolate bar by myself like 
while it's still beautiful, like (laughs) there are still super, super hard emotions and hard situations to get through. And truth be told, like we all just need a little bit of help. I absolutely agree with you. And while I said earlier, I have adult children, I did <laughs> did share with someone the other day, you know, as you just said, I love all of my children with every fiber of my being. Like I, I will always love them no matter what. But honestly, there's some days I don't like them very much. And there's some days they don't like me very much. And that's okay right. because we love, love each other wins. and we're going to get through <laughs> it. But sometimes yeah. we're going to need to step away. <laughs> and just like with a newborn, you love that baby, you cherish that baby. And sometimes, and let me back up, in some situations, it, I think this is another very unique part of postpartum is that sometimes there are moms that struggle with not having that overwhelming love that everybody talks about. So that's a whole nother category of people that, yes, you've got moms that come out, they, you know, it's very emotional experience. They love their babies. Um, they may struggle in, in sleep deprivation and feeding challenges and, and all of those things. Um, that's that's one, you know, category of postpartum that's, I, I think, most common. But it's still, you have some moms that I've I've worked with that they come out and they didn't get that overwhelming instant feeling of, oh my gosh, I love this baby, it's my life. and And then they feel like something's wrong with them because... They don't have that feeling that everybody talks about. Oh, I love my kids with every fiber. You know, sometimes it doesn't start like that, especially in the delivery room of those first few days. And especially if they're grieving some part of their birth process, you know, they may not feel that overwhelming love with this baby yet. There's this new person in their life. And sometimes it takes time to, to get to know that baby and that baby to know you and you know, when you add on sleep deprivation and feeding challenges, and then, you know, I've had moms go to that place of, you know, I'm, I'm not a good enough mother, or the baby doesn't like me. I've even heard moms say that before. Maybe just cries every time I hold the baby. And then it's really hard to work on the bonding when you don't feel like you're enough, or, you know, that you've not connected yet, for whatever reason, maybe baby was in NICU for a while, and they missed that early bonding. And it's like getting to know a stranger sometimes. So, I think that the biggest thing is, like you said, having preferably the continuity of your support team all the way through so that it's not starting over with a stranger in the postpartum period. But even if your postpartum support people say postpartum doula that doesn't do birth doula, it's still great to connect with them, I think, before the birth, create a plan, have them in place. And then be able to fluctuate how much you need that extra support person once you figure out, you know, what, how you're feeling postpartum. Because it, it, it's a huge, vast array of feelings that may be going on. And just knowing that there's already somebody pre-planned to ready to be there yeah. for you for whatever you need. You need a power nap. You need, you need the baby held. You need some dishes to swap. You need, you know, somebody to run to the store. It's something that you just know that you're not out there alone and that someone's going to be non-judgmental and supportive and available to you when the time's needed you know as American society we've moved away from um the postpartum lying in period and having a good you know eight to twelve weeks um paid like maternity leave from you know corporate America or you know different 
jobs that people have. And I'm in contact with people who are working with Washington to get those rules changed. You know, we're the only developed country that doesn't have a mandate of maternity leave and other countries they recognize like some countries they get an entire year like could you imagine to not have that financial burden of I have to go back to work because I can't afford to be at home I'm not getting paid for maternity leave I had a friend who went back at three weeks like your body is nowhere near healed um you know, in your postpartum journey after three weeks, it, it blew, my heart hurt for her, honest, um, that she didn't have the time to be at home with her baby and to get the baby on, um, you know, some type of schedule, some type of routine and some type of normal, like new normal, you know, because it's never going to be the same again. Um, but I did want to go back a little bit. You said about moms sometimes not bonding with their baby right away. I can I can attest to that. I I knew that I loved my baby, but there were just so many things and so many factors that went into a surprise pregnancy, not finding out to the second trimester. Then um, I had terrible, terrible back pain that would put me in a wheelchair at times like just the whole situation, even leading up to the birth was just an uphill battle. And I felt very unsupported by my, you know, OBs and, and different things. Um, so then when the birth came and that was the one where my uterus ruptured, it literally felt like an avalanche, like came over me. And um, mm -hmm. I remember being in the hospital and something as simple as seeing blood, you know, like the document they give you with the baby's handprints and feet prints, footprints. Um, there was a little bit of blood on it and it just, I was crying hysterically all of a sudden because there was blood and there wasn't supposed to be any blood and my baby lost too much blood and I lost too much blood and all of this flood of emotions. And my partner was just sitting there like, I understand you're upset, but we can't do this here. We were still in the hospital. We were trying to get home. And he was like, <laughs> we'll talk about this when we get home and have more privacy. And we did. And, you know, we worked through it. But like, it just, it made me understand better moving forward in my doula practice, how sometimes there is a storm going on inside. And it takes something as simple as seeing a picture to just, let the floodgates open. And was it necessary? Yes, it was very healing for me to get all of that out. But looking back, I was grieving my birth. I was wanting a VBAC after two cesareans. I wanted a natural birth. I wanted my doula there. I wanted obviously my baby's father there. You know, I wanted all of these things, but it turned into an emergent situation and the baby's father was not present. And my doula was not there. My mom was like all like, really, it felt like I didn't have my birthing ball. I didn't have my yoga mat. I had nothing that I had pictured and I had planned. And now, like, I know the, the label for it. I was grieving my birth that I had pictured and worked for about five months. I had worked and prayed so hard for. And so, yeah, like moving forward, 
I will definitely take that into my doula work as a postpartum doula and just give clients the, the, the verbiage to say like, these things happened and yes, I'm okay with it, but maybe I'm not okay with it. And it's okay to not be okay. Yeah. So. Exactly. Well, Carson, I just, um, my mind is like doing, I think heel kicks inside of my head. Cause like this conversation was so amazing. <laughs> and I know Kathy and I have learned so much about, you know, OB to me and how that model of care looks. And um, yeah, we'll have to have you on as a repeat guest and find other topics to discuss further. Well, thank you. I'd be honored to come back and talk and you pick the topic and we'll talk and I'm happy to help any way that I can. And I hope that <clears throat> this podcast reaches lots of moms that, you know, maybe they hadn't thought about, maybe they're still pregnant and they haven't thought about their postpartum experience yet. But I think there's so much time and effort and money and all the things to prepare for the birth, but just don't forget about that, you know, few weeks or months, even after birth to prepare for those. And, and just in case you need that extra help, it's always better to have your plan and then you maybe not need it as much as you thought, but it's always better. And when you can go into the experience, as you know, you know, our moms want to interview us and, and, and find the right fit. Well, best to find that person before you've been up for four days, you haven't slept, you haven't showered, you have a screaming newborn, like vet that, that support system before you need it, <laughs> you know, get to know that person, establish a plan. So, you know, when it's time to call, you, you know, who you're calling and they're going to yeah, be there that's for you. Something you I definitely it, so. just, yeah. I think you do That's great work. I discuss with all of my birth clients. What, what does your postpartum care look like? What is the plan for several weeks? And I was just talking to a postpartum doula last night and um, we had a client that we both worked for um, and her baby is six months old and she is still working for them. Um, I don't know how much or how often, um, but she was saying, we finally got a good system and a good plan that works for them. And it took six months of care and, and that's okay. It's just more important to have the support that you need. And that was definitely my heartbeat behind becoming a doula is not some, I mean, obviously I have to pay bills and, you know, I need to get paid for my time. Um, but more so than making, you know, $100,000 a year, I just want people to have the support that they desire. And if somebody is, is, you know, forthcoming enough or brave enough to say like, hey, this is my family situation and I know what my postpartum is going to look like, I definitely need an extra set of hands, let's budget, you know, I'm, I'm going to be there. And mm -hmm. it's just priceless mm -hmm. in my opinion. It is. It truly is. And I think if people learn about it, I, I think a lot of moms aren't expecting the postpartum to prepare for it, you know, on first babies, especially. But even, I mean, there's opportunities. Obviously, people have, you know, different life situations and budgets and things like that. But like you said, maybe, maybe budgeting for that ahead of time, or even, you know, I, 
I know most women have a shower of some sort, you know, during their pregnancy. Most women have some sort of baby shower. Someone throws them, you know, maybe make that part of the baby shower as, you know, would you consider donating to my postpartum doula fund or something instead of the 17th onesie that's pink with ribbons on it like maybe maybe encouraging family members to help you know even if that that patient or client hasn't recognized it yet but making that something that would be helpful or you know anything that they can do to help widen the birth support postpartum I mean the postpartum support um well on into weeks after delivery not just everybody wants to show up Right. right when the baby comes home and you know, maybe help out with a few meals, but then everybody disappears. And it's like, wait, right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, it's so yeah. needed. It's, mm-hmm. I mean, I, we were in a church community with my second and not one person came, brought food, nothing. And mm-hmm. that was hard for me. It was almost like, okay, I have this new baby and I'm excited to show her off, but like nobody came and it was, mm-hmm. It, it was what it was, basically. And it was, I don't think I had depression that time. But it, that was hard to, to feel like I have these amazing friends and we're part of a church community. Like, where is everybody? And my parents came for a week. And then mm-hmm. my ex-husband's um, mom, they, she lives like five minutes away. So obviously they came too. But sometimes you need somebody other than mother or mother <laughs> And I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> right, right. I, like, We're just going to stop right there. Yeah, <laughs> we we love our grandparents, but sometimes you just need exactly. a neutral part. And that's what Renee used to say when she would talk about postpartum viewers. Like, we do whatever the mom wants. And that's all that matters. Right, um, so, exactly. Yeah. Well, I super, super, super enjoyed our conversation. Right. And I would definitely like love to have more conversations just you know from somebody who's been in this community for so long and working and and things like that um yeah so did you have any other questions for me I'll be happy to no no I I I feel like I love what you're doing and I love the support you provide both uh in birth and and especially postpartum and I appreciated the the help you've given my um past clients and I just I'm happy to know that I can continue to you know give out your information they're going to be in good hands to help them especially through that fourth trimester I I definitely appreciate it and I'm so thankful so thankful like I just was at a birth yesterday that was super quick and empowering and just um all the things um and it really is like the best job in the world imagine doing anything else mm-hmm. I almost wish that Kathy could no that's because it's not a job it's your passion I wish that Kathy <laughs> yeah. like could get to right. a place where she was able to support people um because I think it would be cool to do like a twin marketing thing because yeah I haven't heard it oh that would be but we'll see so um I did get the notification from Zoom again, so we're going to have to sign off. Um, I know we could like chat all night. So thanks again and have a good night and stay safe. Yes. All All right. right. My pleasure. You too. Thank you. You too.